Guys Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Skolarsep, and it is Friday morning. And when I say it's Friday morning, I mean it's literally Friday morning. I'm recording this very, very, very late Thursday. Actually, it's basically Friday. And you know what it is. You know what day it is. U.S.-Mexico World Cup qualifier is here. It's been five years since we had the last U.S.-Mexico World Cup qualifier in the U.S. And the date has finally arrived and we have ourselves the makings of a match for the ages. It's a little bittersweet because it's actually going to be the last U.S.-Mexico qualifier in the U.S., for a while obviously both teams are co-hosting the 2026 World Cup so they won't have to qualify then after that the World Cup's going to expand the field so there won't be that final round where US and Mexico are fighting for the same spot I mean they'll both basically get in by when you're talking 2030 but we're getting ahead of ourselves Friday night that's what matters bragging rights but more importantly the chance to be on top of the qualifying group in CONCACAF. Mexico is currently three points ahead. They're in first place. The U.S. is three points back, but Owen on Friday, and they're all tied up. And if the U.S. manages a dos a cero, they would technically be in first place with more goals scored. But we'll dig into that. We'll dig into the matchups. We'll dig into everything. Up and down. And if uh, if you're not reading SBI Soccer, make sure you go read SBI Soccer. We have wall-to-wall coverage. We have so many articles. I've been cranking them out. Me and the crew, me and the SBI staff, we've been hard at work trying to cover all angles of this matchup. And there's so much to get into. There's so much to dig into with this matchup. And we'll start with the big news from Thursday. Christian Pulisic is not going to start. And I guess it was a little ambitious to think, you know, he's been out for two months. He makes a few cameos off the bench for Chelsea. That's enough. He's going to start against Mexico. I, it was ambitious. And I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it, too. I thought, you know what? He's going to start. But Greg Berhalter was like, mm, no, he's not ready. And uh, it's unfortunate, obviously. The U.S. are going to miss him, but... He will be available to play. So instead of Christian Pulisic, the starter, we could see Christian Pulisic, the super sub. And that could still make a difference in a game like this. And the one big news in terms of finding out who will start on Friday for the U.S., we did find out about one starter, and that is Zach Steffen. He's getting the start in goal over Matt Turner. And I know there were definitely uh, plenty of people who were surprised by that. Because of the fact that Stefan just hasn't been really been playing much for, for Manchester City. He's he's played one match in the past month, which they happen to lose in the Carabao Cup. And we all know that Stefan started against Costa Rica in the third qualifier in October. And we all kind of figured, you know what, Turner will get the job back. Turner's been playing regularly for New England. He's the guy. But nope. Berhalter's going back to Stefan. Who and look, Stefan was the number one before the, the whole emergence of Matt Turner. And Berhalter clearly rates him. And, and so why? So why Stefan? Right. The simple. I, I think it's the simple answer. The simple answer is they expect to be under pressure from Mexico. Mexico's going to be all over them. 
and there's gonna they're gonna need the goalkeeper to to get to be on the ball. They're gonna need the goalkeeper to relieve pressure and handle the ball cleanly to be able to distribute effectively. And we all know that Zach Steffen, his distribution game is better than Matt Turner's distribution game. And that's ultimately what it has to come down to because it's definitely not about form. It's definitely not about sharpness because Matt Turner's playing week in, week out for New England, who just won the Supporter Shield, by the way, in MLS. Congratulations for that, to them for that. But Burhalter is going with Stefan. And, and you know, at, at the end of the day, as much as, you know, me and, and a lot of people probably would have picked Turner to start, you're not talking chopped liver here stepping into goal. I mean, Zach, <laughs> Zach Stefan is the backup goalkeeper for one of the best teams in the world, backing up one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and Ederson. So, you know, as much as, yes, look, it'd be better if he was playing more. No question. No one would dispute that. It isn't as if he's not playing because he's terrible. He's not playing because he's at, you know, at, a, at the highest level possible as a backup. Is there, is there a risk? Is, there, is it a bit of a gamble? To go with him over Turner, of course there is. There's, of, course, there, of course, there's that possibility where he do, doesn't have that sharpness, and that could, and then that could hurt the U.S. That they, they can, you know, that could be a mistake. And we all saw against Costa Rica in the first minute of the game, uh, Stefan had that failed clearance attempt where he runs out, he heads the ball away, and then you know it ends up coming back, and they and Costa Rica scores that first minute goal. But eventually, Stefan settled down. Did what he had to do. Put in a pretty solid shift. And, you know, as much as that's a surprise, at this point now, the question is who else is starting, right? So that that's going to be the big... You know, there's a couple of decisions there that Berhalter's going to have to make. There's a few... Obviously, there's some easy ones. Tyler Adams is going to start. Weston McKinney is going to start. Brendan Aronson is going to start. Miles Robinson is going to start. You kind of know... Seven, you know, six or seven, probably, maybe even more. Ricardo Pepe is going to start. I mean, that's these these are givens, right? The, the The question marks are center back next to Miles Robinson. Well, you have Chris Richards and Walker Zimmerman, one of the two. I think they're going to go four three three. I've got I've got no sense that they they're considering three in the back. I know some people have asked about that. Obviously, the U.S. played three center backs against Mexico in the Nations League final. But this is a much different team. It's going to be Richards or Zimmerman. And I think he'll go Zimmerman for the experience. But I personally would go Richards. I would go Richards-Robinson, very dynamic center back tandem, super fast, very good in the air, both good passers. I mean, Richards, you know, you can argue he's a better pass than Miles Robinson. So he kind of helps fill that void that is left by the exclusion and the absence of John Brooks. But I don't know if you can go wrong, wrong either way. I mean, Richards is my preference, but I, I could see, see Zimmerman look pretty good in October. And I know the, the anti-MLS contingent will say, oh, Walker Zimmerman, how are you going to put him in over a guy who starts in the Bundesliga? You know, the usual stuff, right? I get it. But he played well in October. Can't take it away from him. So that's one of the key lineup decisions Berhalter has to make. Another one is on the wings. Now, obviously, Pulisic isn't starting. Brendan Aronson should start on the left wing. 
in Pulisic's spot, which is where Aronson has been playing and been playing well. Now, before we found out about Pulisic not starting, I, you know, I had kind of tossed around the idea of maybe we could see Aronson play centrally, right? Partly because of the Yunus Musa situation, the fact that he hasn't been playing for Valencia. He hasn't been getting the minutes in the past month. He's, he hasn't started a match. He's, to, he's had three appearances off the bench. So how sharp is he? But all signs this week point to Yunus Musa starting. Greg Berhalter cannot say enough good things about Yunus Musa. Yunus Musa spoke to the media during the week, which, again, it's not an automatic that you speak to the media, you start. That's not the case, but it tends to work in your favor. If you start, it it kind of increases the chances. Although, Musa, Musa spoke to the media this week. And Kellen Acosta spoke to the media this week, and I don't. There's no real scenario where you could see the both of them starting. So right there, you know one of them's not. But who starts on the right wing? That's the question. And you have Paul Ariola, who started two qualifiers in October, played very well against Jamaica in Austin, not so well against Panama in Panama. But of course, nobody played well against Panama. And then you have Tim Weah, who played well against Costa Rica, and who actually, the reason he started against Costa Rica was because Paul Ariola got injured in pregame warm-ups. So as far as Berhalter was concerned, Ariola, he was ready to start him all three qualifiers in October. So from that standpoint, you think Ariola probably is has the edge over Wea in terms of more likely to start, based on that. Me personally, I would start Wea. But I can understand Ariola and the defensive pressure that he can provide. He's, you know, the relentless work rate that he puts in. Would it help if he if he was a better finisher? Obviously. If he was more effective in the final third? Obviously. It would be better. Yes, I agree. It would be better. But he does make things happen. We saw him make things happen against Jamaica. We saw him make things happen in the Gold Cup final. Obviously, he didn't put the chances away that he got, but he was involved. So I think Berhalter looks at, can look at that and look at the fact that uh, Ariola has played Mexico multiple times in big matches. So, like, he's he has that experience. But me, I think just way of for me is just a more dynamic threat, more more dynamic attacking threat. The question is, you know, again, if you're emphasizing the pressing game, which they absolutely are, you can argue Paul Ariola is more effective in terms of the pressing game. Now, you're going to hear that theme echoed probably quite a bit during this episode, the pressing game, and the U.S.'s emphasis, increased emphasis on pressing. And I wrote a whole big piece on this topic uh, that's actually live, currently live on SBISoccer.com. It's uh, it's part of the subscription setup, so you have to be a subscriber. Unfortunately, if you're not, you have to subscribe to read it. I'll, you know, I would recommend reading it because I think it's it's a really pretty detailed breakdown into the evolution of this U.S. team and why. The I mean, just to give you an idea, the headline the headline is "Fast and Furious: Why the U.S. MNT has has a squad that could." Press Mexico into submission. I know. Dramatic, right? I get it. But it's true. This U.S. team, with the pieces that they have, and the players and the strengths that these players have, could be an absolute 
terror in terms of smothering opponents, in terms of being able to press all over the field. Now, obviously, they have to do it. They have to, you know, the proof will be in the pudding when they actually go out there and face Mexico. But it's not going to be easy. Because Mexico has the talent to play out of pressure. They have players who can deliver the killer pass. But we'll see. That's, that's what it's about. That's why you play the games. But I am very interested to see this U.S. team in action because this is, for me, when you look at the, type, when you look at the lineup that they could put out, you're talking about a very fast, very relentless potential starting 11. From the center backs to the full backs to the midfield to the forward line. Speed everywhere, big engines everywhere, willingness to press everywhere. Even the striker, Ricardo Pepe. He's 18 years old and he presses like he loves it. I actually asked him about that. I was like, you know, it's not normal. You know, not all strikers love the dirty work. You seem to like the dirty work. And he admit, he said, yeah, you know what? He loves to do that. You know, he loves to pre- You know, he loves to do the job and work hard for his team. But there's also the selfish aspect of it because obviously, if you if you press effectively from the front and you can help cause turnovers, voila, scoring chances from close range. Who doesn't love those? So I, I think this is definitely going to be a key in this match. How effectively the, the U.S. can press and how Mexico copes with that. And, and, and I need to say, I'll say it, I said it before, I'll say it again. This, this Mexico team is good. Their attack, is, this is their full strength attack. Jimenez, striker, Tecatito and Irving Lozano on the wings. Hector Herrera, Andres Guardado, and Edson Alvarez is likely your central midfield. I mean that's a solid. I mean that's that that that's a great that's a great setup right there. You're talking about threats on the wing. You're talking about midfielders who can pass and create. And it, it, I mean I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a great matchup. But Mexico is gonna f- face much more pressure than they faced in the Nations League final, and much more pressure than they faced even in the Gold Cup final. And I'll give the U.S. credit. In the Gold Cup, they did try to, you know, they did their, they pressed. They tried to put the pressure on. But this particular group has, not only has it just been the natural evolution of, of a young a young group of players, a lot of play, a lot of which play on teams that like to press. But then you also have Berhalter doing his part in terms of how he selected the roster when John Brooks gets left off, Tim Ream gets left off, Daryl D.K., Jordan Pifog get left off. It's not a coincidence that, you know, they all have, you know, something in common in terms of the pressing game not being strengths for any of them. So I want to see. I want to see how this setup works. Now, some good news for the U.S. and not good news for Mexico. Their center back situation is a mess. For those of you who've missed it, Nestor Araujo is suspended. He got a red card in their last game. And Cesar Montes the really impressive Monterey center back is injured and he's out and he's been starting and qualifying for them and playing well. So as if that wasn't bad enough that you don't have Araujo, you don't have Montez. Now comes word on Thursday that Hector Moreno might not be able to play. And just to put it in perspective, if you don't have Moreno to go with, you don't have Araujo and you don't have Montez, you're talking 11 
of your 12 center back starts so far in the octagonal are not there. The players who accounted for 11 of your 12 starts at center back for Mexico will not be available if Moreno can't play. And who's the one start? Who had the one start still that should be available? Edson Alvarez, who's playing in the midfield. And I haven't seen anything to suggest Tata's Martino's ready to put him in, in center back. So what's Tata going to do? Uh, he's got some younger options. Uh, you have Johan Vasquez, who plays uh, in Serie A. He plays for Genoa. And he, and he plays for Genoa, and he's actually broken into the starting lineup at Genoa. He's started five straight matches now. So you got to think he's playing with some confidence. I think he's a safe bet to start. Then you have an older option in Cata Dominguez, Julio Dominguez, the Cruz Azul center back. He's older, but he actually has gotten some starts in qualifying. He's gotten some starts in qualifying at right back, actually. Funny enough, even though you know he's a center back, but he's been he's played two matches at right back in qualifying. So if you're Tata and you want to have a little bit of mix of youth and experience, Vasquez Dominguez center back tandem makes sense. Now, if Tata decides, you know what, I'm I'm going to go with two young and dynamic center backs. Give me Johan Vasquez and give me Gilberto Sepulveda. That's a possibility as well. But when it comes down to it, the, you're talking about L3, the, the Mexican national team, not potentially not having their three top center backs as they get ready to face Ricardo Pepe, who, as we know, has been in very good form in qualifying. Pepe, who chose the U.S. over Mexico. Pepe, who has already said he's, you know, there's going to be plenty of emotion involved in him facing Mexico. And now you're saying that the, the Mexico's top three center backs might not be available. I mean, come on, Pepe's got to be, you know, rubbing his hands together, thinking about the possibilities. But to be clear, it th- that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy an easy game just because you know they don't have their top center backs. Vasquez is very good. Sepulveda is pretty good. Cata Dominguez is good. He's older, but he's you know he helped lead Cruz. He's captain of Cruz Azul. Helped lead them to their first Liga Mekis title in twenty four years in the spring. So he's pretty good. But there has got to be a drop off when you don't have Araujo, you don't have Montes, you don't have potentially you don't have Moreno. That's a bit you know those are some big losses. So what are the matchups we we expect to see, and what are the matchups that we want to watch? What are the matchups that are the most important in U.S. Mexico on Friday night? Well, I think you have to start with Raúl Jiménez versus Miles Robinson. I think that is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, Jiménez one of the best strikers in CONCACAF. He's obviously, now that he's recovered from the fractured skull, he's back. And now Mexico has their attack, their full first choice attack. And we all know Robinson, Miles Robinson has been in very good form ever, you know, since the Gold Cup, since he broke through and had a dominant Gold Cup, carried that over into qualifying. This is going to be a good test for him. Because part of me still feels like you know, Miles Robinson doesn't really get the respect still, even after the Gold Cup he had, even after the qualifying performances he's already put together. Like, I feel he's still not considered, like, among, you know, kind of a higher-end center back. And obviously, look, he plays in MLS, so there's going to be that, that that kind of stigma. Like, why is he so good? Why isn't he playing in a top league in Europe? You know, I get it. But this is the type of game that could definitely elevate his stock and definitely earn him some more respect. Because if you can neutralize Raul Jimenez... 
That's a big one. And scouts are going to be watching that one. You know, European scouts are looking at that. And, and if he has a game, he balls out, shuts down Jimenez. Atlanta United is going to get some phone calls. According to reports I've seen, there have been no phone calls yet for Miles Robinson. I mean, sure, he can work on his, his passing is still not elite level. It's still not, you know, you would call one of his main strengths. So he can work on that. But the defending, the one-on-one defending, I mean, what league can't use that? So this is that's a big matchup. The next matchup for me to watch, Weston McKinney versus Edson Alvarez. And you can argue McKinney's in the best form of anybody on the U.S. team heading into these qualifiers. And you could argue Edson Alvarez is, you know, one of the best, is in one of the best levels of form of any of the Mexican players. So these two, they know each other. They've faced each other before. And I have a feeling, and I said it last episode, I'm pretty sure, that Tata Martino is going to definitely have a, a target on Weston McKinney's back because we know, we saw what McKinney did against Mexico in the Nations League. We saw how impactful he was, what kind of threat he was on set pieces, and just overall just his just work rate and his presence in the middle. And now that he enters in top form, I mean, he he is one of the, for me, if you're talking like who, who's my money on to be man of the match, it's Weston McKinney. He is, for me, the favorite to be man of the match. For the U.S., now obviously for Mex- Mexico, you can talk about Lozano, Chick Lozano. But I see Weston McKinney have him, having himself a pretty big game. Even with Edson Alvarez, you know, pre- presenting, you know, obviously a good a good adversary for him and a good, you know, good competition. Another matchup to watch is Tyler Adams versus Hector Herrera. And we know Herrera, obviously one of the most important players for Mexico, the Atletico, Atletico Madrid midfielder who was excellent in the Gold Cup. Missed out on the September qualifiers for Mexico, but he came back in October. And he's really important to Mexico's attack. And Tyler Adams will have the job of neutralizing him. Easier said than done, but hey, Tyler Adams also enters in good form. So that that absolutely is one to watch. And the other two that you definitely want to keep an eye on are on the wings, U.S. fullbacks against Mexican wingers. You have Chucky Lozano against DeAndre Yedlin. And you have Anthony Robinson against Tecatito Corona. Now, obviously, they can flip sides. You've seen, you, you see at times the wingers, you know, flip flip the different well sides of the field they're on. But it's going to be the U.S. fullbacks against Mexico's wingers. Those are going to be outstanding to watch. And Anthony Robinson, as we know, in very good form. DeAndre Yedlin. Very good form at Galatasaray. So they should be up for it. They should be up for the challenge, and it's not going to be easy by any means. But if the U.S. fullbacks can neutralize Mexico's wingers, it's going to be that much tougher for Mexico to generate chances. Anthony Robinson obviously has done very well for himself. He's really grabbed hold of the starting left-back spot, and this is another opportunity for him to kind of further cement himself as the clear choice at left-back. And, of course, DeAndre Yedlin, you've got three right backs in in camp. You have Reggie Cannon, who's also faced Mexico before. He, he faced Mexico in the 2019 Gold Cup final. He's no stranger. He faced them in the Gold Cup just this past summer. So he he's played against Mexico. I still think it's going to be Yedlin. You, you also have Joe Scali, by the way, who, you know, look, he, ha- he hasn't gotten a cap yet. I don't see him making his debut against Mexico as much as, by all accounts, it sounds like he's looked good in camp. He's definitely impressed. But it's a tall order for a defender making their debut in a game like this. So that that one for me, I think that that might be a bridge too far for me. But we'll see. You know, stranger things have happened. 
but those for me are the matchups to watch. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how the crowd is at TQL Stadium. Unfortunately, me, I will not be there. I'll be in studio with CBS Sports as we provide our coverage of World Cup qualifying, of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Uh, I'll be with Clint Dempsey, Moedou, Gucciniewu, and Charlie Davies in that group. Kate Abdo, all-star. And uh, so, yeah, so I won't be there, unfortunately. Uh, I was a little bummed about it, but you know what? The job's the job. I've been to plenty of U.S.-Mexico matches. I've, I've actually been to 24 of the past 25. And this is going to be the first official competitive U.S.-Mexico match that, I've, that I'll miss since 2001. So it's actually 20 years. 20 years. It's kind of crazy. That streak started, by the way, with the World Cup game back in 2002 in South Korea. I was lucky enough to be there. I'm old. I know. I get it. But, uh, but yeah. So, unfortunately, I won't be there. Going to have to wait for next year to, to finally see TQL Stadium up close and personal. I, I definitely plan to get out to Cincinnati. Hopefully, in 2022, FC Cincinnati is a competitive team and a team worth going out to watch. But I have a feeling the fans in Cincinnati are going to do their part on Friday night. As we know, U.S.-Mexico traditionally played in Columbus. Four straight qualifiers in Columbus. Actually, I think it was five straight. The U.S. won the first four, and obviously they lost the last one in 2016. And that opened the door for them to move it. I thought they'd I thought they'd move you know, U.S.-Mexico to like Kansas City. Cincinnati got the bid, and we'll see what kind of crowd they can put out. And obviously we saw Columbus step up and show out again in the Costa Rica qualifier in October. Great crowd there at lower.com field. And we'll see what the folks in Cincinnati can do for this one. And this is going to be a great game. I'm telling you, this one is going. There's going to. It's going to be very fast paced, very competitive, very intense match. And I'm picking the U.S. to win. I am definitely buying into the idea that their pressing game and their dynamic lineup that they can put out because they can put out a fast lineup. We're talking speed all over the field. And I know it's you know the game's more than just speed. I get it, but it's not just fat. we're not talking ten track track stars. We're talking players who are fast, but who are also effective at pressing. Who are also good in transition. We're talking quality. Brendan Aronson, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, Ricardo Pepe. These are all players who can press and switch right into the transition into attack. From defense to counter, defense to attack, and not to take anything away from Mexico. Mexico can absolutely win this game, but I think this U.S. lineup is well suited to neutralize Mexico's attack. We'll see if they do it. It's going to be a fun game. That much I can guarantee you. Now, what other matches are there in CONCACAF on Friday night? You have Canada versus Costa Rica. Alfonso Davies homecoming in Edmonton. I think they're expecting like 50,000 in Edmonton. And uh, it's great that Alfonso Davies is back and healthy and is going to play in this match. I know he was injured recently, and there was that that idea that, oh, is he going to miss this game? Of course not. Of course not. How's he going to miss the homecoming? And this is a big one. This is a big one for Canada. Right now, Canada is in third place. Canada is currently two points ahead of, Pan- ahead of Panama for the final spot, the final automatic spot in CONCACAF. And obviously, they had the two draws in October, which wasn't great for them, but They've been very good at home. The last, you know, two big home wins. And now if they beat Costa Rica, they're going to be feeling pretty good about their position. Because at that point, if uh, you're seven points ahead 
of Costa Rica. If you beat Costa Rica, and if you're Canada, you beat Costa Rica, you'll be seven points ahead of Costa Rica. One of the teams that would have been, you know, kind of favored to really compete for a top top three spot. Uh, so that one's going to be uh, interesting to watch. Costa Rica's, you know, they've they've had their issues. Obviously, they had a coaching change heading into qualifying. They're struggling to generate goals. They've shaken up their forward line, trying to find the goal scorer. And uh, look, the Canadian defense isn't exactly impenetrable. So you should be able to find some chances. But the question is, can the Costa Rica defense deal with Canada's dynamic attack? That's the real question. And Alfonso Davies has just been just been running wild. And then you have Jonathan David. You have Tejon Buchanan. That front three is ridiculous. And it, it, I mean, they could really, really hurt Costa Rica. The good thing for Costa Rica is that they have that experience. Uh, they'll be an organized bunch. They've got a pretty solid defense. Even though Ronald Matarita is hurt. He's been starting for them, but he is out with a calf injury. But I think this is—I think this is still going to be a good match. At the end of the day, I think Costa Rica is an—you know—they're an older team, and they suffer from not having an injection of of dependable youth. Like it's all well and good to have an older team, but you need that youthful energy in there, and they just don't have it. They just don't have much of it. They just don't have that many real difference makers who are younger. And I think that's going to cost them. Obviously, it costs them against the U.S., and I think it's going to cost them against Canada. Now, the other matches in CONCACAF, you have Honduras against Panama. And the Bolillo Gomez era for Honduras begins against the team he led to the World Cup. Interesting there. And right now, look, Honduras is in last place in the octagonal. They are seven points out of the top three, right? Sounds like end of the world. But Bolillo Gomez knows CONCACAF. He knows the qualifying process. He's a legitimate coach. So if anybody can help turn things around, help get Honduras into the conversation again, it's Bolio Gomez. And I get it. It's you know, you know, it's you know turn are you going to turn water into wine? I mean, look. Now he now Gomez might not turn things around completely, but I will say I'm pretty sure Honduras is going to be a much more competitive team. They are not going to be a pushover with Bolio Gomez as the head coach. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know what? If you're Panama, and you're two points behind Canada right now, and you know Canada's going to be at home, they can get that win, you know you cannot afford to lose any more ground to Canada. So that's going to be a big one. Not only that, if you're Panama and you can get a win against Honduras, you're on 11 points. If the U.S. happens to lose to Mexico, you're all of a sudden tied with the U.S. So this is a big one for Panama. And we'll see. We'll see if Honduras can turn turn it around. And the last game on the schedule, El Salvador, Jamaica. Now, we know Jamaica started to kind of turn things around a bit in October. They were able to get that big win against Honduras. They obviously got the draw against Canada, the 0-0. That was a big one for them, for sure. Uh, so they're on five points. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're five points out of the top three. They're five points behind Canada. And they go to El Salvador to face an El Salvador team that has been a handful at at home. I know Mexico just won in El Salvador 2-0, but before that, El Salvador had made things difficult. They obviously beat Panama in El Salvador. They tied the U.S. in El Salvador. Hugo Perez, you give him a, get a lot of credit for the job that he's done there. But obviously, they've lost two straight now, and, and they've started to kind of slip behind the field. So they this is you can, you can definitely call this an elimination game. They're both on five points. Whoever loses this match, you could argue, is could potentially be eight points out of the top three at that point. 
even though we're only halfway through the the octagonal, right? Even though there's still seven games to play, if you're that far back, it's going to be tough. So, I know it's only November, but you can you can argue El Salvador Jamaica is an elimination game, and definitely for El Salvador because you know what you got to win your home games. You've dropped enough points. You've dropped enough points at, uh, at home. You got to win this one. But that's it for World Cup qualifying. Uh, I think I'm trying to keep this episode relatively short because I, I need to edit it and try to get some sleep. But the one thing I did want to touch on the under 20s, the U.S. under 20s played their first match in almost two years. Obviously, it's a different group now. They're playing in the Revelations Cup in Mexico. And the revelation was the U.S. can't defend. The U.S. under 20s uh, can't defend. They lost 4-0 to Brazil. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. It could have been a lot worse. Gabriel Salinina made a made several very, very good saves. The Chicago Fire goalkeeper, probably the one player who really kind of covered himself in some glory. Uh, he actually looked the part, unlike, the, unlike his teammates. And at the end of the day... I don't know how surprised we should be at this outcome, just because if you think about it, the U.S. literally just hired Mikey Varis as head coach like a week ago. He picks his roster. I think they got one training session together. It wasn't exactly a recipe for success, right? So that's not great. But, I, you know, I, I, I people were definitely up in arms. Some U.S. fans were obviously upset about it because, you know, you look at it and you say, wait a minute, this is a great opportunity and you're kind of wasting it by taking so long to hire a coach, having no time to practice beforehand. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great. But it's early. It's early in the cycle. I know it's been a long time since we had youth games to dissect and to, to, to complain about. But, uh, you know, maybe we should slow down on the moratoriums or, or on the, you know, the breakdowns about everything that happened in that game. It's... It's way too early. Now we'll see. the The U.S. team has two more games to play. They they also have to, they also play Colombia, and they will eventually play Mexico. Colombia and Mexico actually played to a zero zero draw in the other game in the U twenty. So we'll see how they do against those teams. Look, Brazil is Brazil, right? Losing to Brazil is nothing to be ashamed of. But we'll see now. The reality or the truth will be told in these other matches against Colombia and against Mexico, especially against Mexico. Because the U.S., you're always going to be measured against Mexico. And obviously, when you think about qualifying, when you think about qualifying for the Under-20 World Cup, qualifying for the Olympics, Mexico will be one of the teams you have to deal with. So that's going to really, really tell us where they are and where they stand. And again, this is obviously not the full-strength U-20 squad. You have so you know you have some of the players that are on the full senior team right now who are eligible for the U-20s. Joe Scali, Busio. Musa, Giarena when he's healthy. Obviously, you, you might not get those players available for the qualifying tournament. But it just kind of shows you what kind of talent in that age group. Before anyone you know gets too crazy about one random, basically, exhibition result. That being said, anyone complaining about the timetable, I'm with you. They could have hired someone sooner. I'm sure they were waiting for the end of the MLS regular season to have some people available to interview. Uh, You probably had some candidates who were still tied up with their MLS seasons. And so that wasn't ideal. And obviously, look, Mikey Varis was an assistant for FC Dallas. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. We'll see if Varis can, can, you know, whip that team into shape and, and hopefully they can get some better results in these other two 
games down in Mexico. Now, I think that wraps it up. Uh, obviously, MLS is not in action. MLS is uh, on a... They've actually respected the international break. The playoffs begin in a week. We'll obviously get into the playoffs next week. Uh, but for right now, I think we've covered all the different topics. I'll say it again. If In case you aren't already or haven't already, make sure you check out SBISoccer.com. We have wall-to-wall coverage breaking down all aspects of the U.S.-Mexico match. Um, and if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely, if you can, please do subscribe. We'll definitely try to make it worth your while providing regular content on all subscription levels. And uh, so far, so good. We've had a pretty decent subscription rollout. We're still working out a few kinks on the site. It's still, obviously, we're in the first week since we had the transition to the new site. And uh, hopefully we can get everything sorted out and, you know, get ready for this big game. But I think that's it. That's all for now. Uh, make sure you check out Paramount Plus. Obviously, I'm sure you will be watching US Mexico on your TV if you're not at the game. But feel free to have another TV or uh, not a TV, but if you want to have your phone, make sure you check out Paramount Plus's uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying coverage. We'll have the post game analysis of the US Mexico game. Clint Dempsey, Moe Du, Aguchenier, Charlie Davies will have their breakdown. And it's always interesting to hear Clint and all the guys, but Clint especially, uh, just give their take on on the national team. It's always it's always interesting. Uh, but that's it. That's all for now. Um, we'll be back, uh, I want to say Saturday. Obviously, Friday night's the game. I'll definitely take some time Saturday to record the kind of reaction. And need to fi- I, I need to figure out if we'll do one episode or two episodes between the Friday game and obviously the Tuesday game in Jamaica. I will not be in Jamaica. I will be in New York in the studio again with CBS. I have been to Jamaica for qualifiers twice. Man, going way back. 2005. Was it? No, actually, it was 2004 in Kingston. I believe it was Brian Ching, maybe, who scored. We're going back a ways now. We're going back a ways. But, yeah. So definitely, if you can, if you haven't already, subscribe to Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, I'm pitching all the subscriptions at this point. But make sure you check out the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying coverage on Paramount+. Plus, and make sure you're reading SBI for all U- U.S. men's national team coverage. I think that's it. That's all for now. We'll be back. I'll be back this weekend. Stay tuned for that. Enjoy the match. And hopefully we have a, a positive result for the U.S. I think I think it will be. I think, you know, I, I think I've sold it at this point. I see the U.S. doing pretty well, which, again, would be pretty impressive considering no Giorena, no Serginio Dest, no Pulisic in the starting lineup. But there's still plenty of talent there to get the job done. And if they win after the two tournament finals in the summer, I think at that point, you got to call Greg Berhalter Tata Martino's daddy. If he wins, if he wins. Now, if the U.S. loses, uh, things are things are back to even, I'd say. But we'll see. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarsen. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>